Masechet Ketubot of Ayin He. The Mishnah mentioned that Komo means Shaposlin, any blemish that will disqualify a Kohen from serving, uh, will also disqualify regarding um, a woman if a man says, um, I didn't want any blemishes, and she has such a blemish that would disqualify a Kohen, he also can claim that the marriage is invalid. Tana, Hosifu Alehen Ze'ah Vishuma Vereach Hapeh. The Baraita says that there are three other blemishes that disqualify women in addition to those that disqualify a Kohen, and they are Ze'ah, uh, someone who perspires a lot, a mole, and bad breath. Then we ask about that. Wait a second, these three, do they not disqualify a Kohen? They do, because look at this Mishnah in Masechet Bechorot. This Mishnah is talking about animals. An animal that is old or sick or uh, uh, filthy. Um, but we apply it to humans also. And so then uh, another Mishnah also in Bechorot says that these blemishes, uh, whether they are permanent or temporary, regarding people, they also disqualify. So we're assuming that here that Mizoham, filthy, would be uh, equivalent to Ze'ah, uh, 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 sweaty, or bad breath, and so these already disqualify in a Kohen, so why is this Baraita saying that these are an ad- additional disqualifications for a woman? The Baraita, he answers, uh, is talking about temporary sweat that's removable, that would be a blemish regarding a wife, but not a Kohen. Whereas the Mishnah is talking about Ze'ah, sweat that is not removable, that is what's called Mizoham. So therefore that Mizoham will be the more permanent kind, and that that sweat that is permanent is Mizoham, and therefore that is the one that is um, already a blemish regarding a Kohen, so it's the removable uh, type of sweat that is the added one for a wife. Ravashe Amar Ze'ah Amezoham Karamet. Ravashe is going to give yet another answer. That's actually similar to Rabbi Chana's answer. Um, are you are comparing Ze'ah to Zohama? These are different different things. Sweat and filth. Hatam Gabe Kohanim Efshal Aberah Bekiuha Dehamra. Regarding a Kohen, you can take care of the um, a bad uh, a smell of the of the sweat by using wine vinegar uh, somehow that takes away the bad smell. Um, and also if he has bad breath, so you can put pepper in his mouth. Nowadays, if someone eats pepper, then they have to get a mint. But they're saying that uh, uh, pepper will make his breath smell better. And therefore, all he needs is temporary if he's going to go and serve in the Beit HaMikdash for an hour or two, so he can uh, temporarily remove that bad smell or the bad breath. But for a woman, it can't do that. Woman, his his husband, her husband is uh, is going to want her to smell um, uh, good all the time, not just for an hour or two here and there. And therefore, these remedies will not work for a wife. And that's why, um, if a person always smells bad, then there be not, cannot be a kohen either. Um, but if it's only if they can get removed there. 
this this bad smell for a little bit, then it's uh, uh, okay to be a Kohen, but still not okay for a wife. Okay, hi Shuma Now you mentioned that a mole is an additional blemish uh, of, of a wife over and above a Kohen. Well, what kind of mole are we talking about? If it's a mole that has a hair in it, then that is one of the blemishes of a Kohen. So that would be a blemish for both. And even if it doesn't have a hair, if it's a large size, then that would also be a blemish both for a wife and a Kohen. And if the mole is small, then it's not a blemish in either case. So what are we talking about? And how do we know all this? If has a hair, it is a, a blemish for a Kohen. Or if it's small, big, even if it doesn't have a hair, it also is a mum for a Kohen and for a wife. If it's small, then it's not a blemish for anyone. What's the definition of large? The size of an Italian Isad coin, a pretty small coin, but if it's less than that, then it's not a blemish. So where, what, what kind of mole are we talking about that would be a blemish for a wife but not a Kohen? So we're talking about something that's a, a mole that's on her forehead, a small mole without a hair on her forehead. They'll be okay for a Kohen, but uh, for a wife, the husband will have to see that and he um, uh, will uh, make her look ugly. So he will be particular about that. Now he asks, If it's on her, her forehead, then obviously he saw it when, when, they, were, when, when they were going out and, uh, and he means he's still okay with it. So he can't come and claim, oh, you know, you had a mole that I didn't know about. And so therefore, I don't want to pay the ketubah. He can't, he can't say that. That he saw it and he still went ahead with the marriage. We're talking about that it's uh, right at, uh, on her forehead and it's sometimes under her hat. It's therefore sometimes visible, sometimes not visible. So anytime they were going out on their dates, she had it covered so he didn't know about it. But sometimes, uh, uh, but sometimes it is visible and looks ugly, even though it's small, but it's on, uh, on the person's face. So that's the kind of thing we're talking about where for a Kohen, this would be permissible, but for a wife, it is a blemish. So Rechista says, I heard the following matter from a great man, and that is Rabbi Shela. If a person was bitten by a dog and there's a scar in the place of the wound, that is called a blemish. Rechista is yet another. If a woman has a deep voice, that is also considered a blemish. In Shirashirim, the the man there praises his beloved that she has a sweet voice and appearance is pleasant. So you see a sweet voice is part of what's attractive about a woman and therefore if she has a, a too deep a voice, it's not attractive. That's also a blemish. How did he not hear her voice when they were going out? I guess she was quiet. So Rabbi Natan from Bira'a uh, said that between the breasts of a woman, there um, something about 
one tefach, one you know, one fistful. So what does that mean? Is that good a thing or a bad thing? So at first, Rav Acha, the son of Rava, um, thought that this is a positive thing, that this is attractive to have a tefach between. He said that in front of Rav Asher, but Rav Asher corrected him and said, No, he said that regarding the blemishes, that if there's too much space in between, then that is a blemish, it's not attractive. So how much is the a good amount. Three fingers wide. Tefach is four fingers. Um, and so three fingers is the right amount. Four fingers is too much. Okay, in case anyone thinks that objectifying women's bodies comes from uh, fashion magazines and social media, well, back in Talmudic times already, uh, they were pretty exacting about what is considered attractive and exactly uh, dimensions of non-attractive. All right, Tanya Rabinatan Omer, Kodisha Shedateha Gasin Michel Chabroteha, Hare Ze Mum Rabinatan says, a woman whose breasts are larger than most average of those other women around her, that also is a blemish. Vechama, how large is too large? Amarabi Meyasha, Barbere de Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Mishmed de Rabbi Yoshua ben Levi, Tefach, if it's one, if they are one Tefach larger, than her than other people's. Uh, is there such a thing that that uh, so, uh, uh, breasts that are so large, a tefach bigger than an average? In In fact, yes, Rababa Barhana says that she he saw a certain Arab woman that he was able to she was able to fling her breast behind her and nurse her child. Uh, it's important to remember Rababa Barhana. He's famous for a whole series of stories in Baba Batra that are uh, extremely exaggerated stories. So it wouldn't be surprising if he was exaggerating something here. Also important to remember that Arabs, this is before um, Islam existed, so they're not making fun of Muslims, but uh, rather Arabs, these you know, nomads, Bedouin, uh, that I guess they look strange or acted strange, and so he's uh, exaggerating some of their strangeness, uh, but the point is that, yes, such a possibility can exist uh, that uh, this would be considered a blemish. All right. Now that we quoted one tradition in the name of Rabbi Meyasha, uh, the grandson of Rabbi Yosha ben Navi, we're going to quote something else that he said regarding this pasuk in Tehilim that said, to Sion we will say, uh, this man and this man were born in Sion. And uh, Hashem should establish it, should establish her, um, uh, establish the, the city. Uh, so what is this pasuk referring to? Echad Rabbi Meyasha Rabbi Yosha ben Navi, Echad the ish ish, the two different people here are mention, mentioned or is talking about someone who was born in Sion in Jerusalem and also someone who was not born there but is hoping, is eager to come and see and, uh, and see and visit or live in Jerusalem. Both of them are uh, get credit. Yeah, but one of us is better than two of them. In other words, someone actually born in Sion is twice as good as someone who wasn't born there, but is only looking forward 
to uh, to seeing uh, to seeing it. Amaraba vechad minan kisaliklatam adiv ketre minaihu. Rava now who is showing talking about the superiority of those in Israel over those in Babel, even though he himself was in Babel, says one of us, if we go to Jerusalem, we are better than two people who are in Bavel and stay in Bavel. Look at When he was in Bavel, he was originally from Bavel, and he didn't even know what the rabbis are talking about. He couldn't even keep up with the shiur. He was lesser. But once he went to Bavel, now he grew in his stature double, and then he would look upon us and call us, you uh, foolish Babylonians. So you see, just moving to Babel, he was, he, from moving from Babel to Israel, he was able to double in, um, in his knowledge, in his stature, and those that are already born in Israel are double even from that. The next Mishnah teaches, Hayu ba mumin ve'oda bebet abiha. Ha'av sarich lehavir ayah she mishe nit arsa hayu ba mumin halalu. Uh, so we're talking about um, a man marries this woman and finds that she does have blemishes. And now the question is, when were, did those blemishes occur? If uh, it can be proven that the blemishes were already there before the time of Kiddushin, then, he, then the man can claim this is a mekach ta'ut. I did not want. I did not want to acquire a woman, a woman with blemishes, and therefore he will not have to pay the ketubah. On the other hand, if at the time of kiddushin she did not have blemishes and they developed afterwards, then she can make the claims. Is uh, at the time of kiddushin I was perfectly fine. So this is your loss because uh, it happened afterwards, and that transaction of the of the kiddushin is perfectly valid. And he agreed to it, and he has to pay. He does have to pay the ketuvah. Okay, so now this Mishnah is going to distinguish between two cases of where he, what, what stage of the marriage, uh, when was when he found the these blemishes. So if she had found, if the blemishes were found while she was still living in her father's house, which means after the kiddushin, but before the nisuin. In that case, since it's under the father's domain, the father is the one that has to bring proof that she had these, uh, she got these blemishes after the kiddushin, and therefore the kiddushin is valid because at the time of the kiddushin, um, there was, she had no blemishes, and so he acquired her and agreed to pay the ketubah perfectly fine. And it's only afterwards, so his field was flooded. Now there was bad luck, you know, if you buy something and then it breaks after you bought it, so it's your loss. Uh, so it's uh, but the father has to bring the proof. If the father can't prove it, then he, the husband will not have to pay the ketubah. Second case is After the marriage, only then he finds these blemishes. Then the burden of proof is upon the husband. She's now already in, in, under his domain, and so he has, so he has to bring a proof that. These blemishes happened before the Kiddushin. So that at the time of the Kiddushin, she already had these blemishes. They, she claimed she didn't have any blemishes. And so his, uh, his acquiring uh, of her was under false pretenses. And therefore, And therefore, this was a false transaction. 
but it's the husband that has to prove it. And this is the opinion of, all this is the opinion of Rabbi Meir. So according to Rabbi Meir, it would seem that the difference of the burden of proof is wherever the wife is, if she is under her father, the father has to prove it. And if it's under the husband, the husband has to prove it. This, in fact, will be the second interpretation of this Mishnah by Rav Asher, but the Gemara is going to offer a different interpretation first. It's one of three interpretations that we'll see of the section. Okay, anyway, Chachamim say, when can a husband claim that, oh, I found these blemishes and therefore it's a, it's a mekach ta'ut and he can void the, his, his payment of the ketubah only if these blemishes are in a hidden place on her body that he couldn't see. But if it's on her face, uh, somewhere that he can see, then we assume he saw it and he still went ahead with the Kiddushin. That means he was okay with it. And so he can't make a claim afterwards and say, this is a mekach ta'ut. I wouldn't have gone, uh, gone ahead and, and done the Kiddushin had I known this. It's obvious. It's right there on her face. So obviously he knew and he was still fine with it. If it's in a city where there is a bathhouse, then even uh, blemishes that are on uh, covered parts of her body, even then, he, even about those, he cannot make any claim because uh, at some point she goes to the bathhouse and he can have his relatives, uh, female relatives, go to the bathhouse and then they will do a check and see if she has any blemishes and uh, therefore we can assume that they did do that check and he was still okay to go ahead with the Kiddushin even though there were blemishes there. So we can't come afterwards and say, now I changed my mind. No, you saw you saw what you were acquiring, right? You examined the goods and you still went ahead with the deal. So now you cannot go back on the deal. All right, that's the Mishnah. Now, Gemara. Tama de avra'aya. Halo avra'aya meheman. The Gemara is going to split the first two, two cases when the, when the blemish is found in the father's house or when she is in the husband's house and split the difference and find the contradiction between these two. In other words, it's going to ignore that as relevant, the fact that she is under her father's domain or husband's domain. It's not going to take that as relevant and just say that the first and second clauses are contradictory. So in the first clause where it says that the father has to bring a proof. So that means if the father doesn't bring a proof, then the husband is believed. So in the first clause, the husband is believed, whatever he claims, unless proven otherwise. Who's the author of this section? It must be Rabbi Yoshua, who in a prior Mishnah in Ketubot, back on is talking about a case where a woman is found not to be, a, the bride is found not to be a bitula after the wedding night. And the question is, uh, when did she lose her bitulim? And so Rabbi Yehoshua there says, we do not believe her, rather we believe the husband, when the husband claims that she lost her bitulim before the Kiddushin. She was raped, say, before the Kiddushin. And therefore, when I did the Kiddushin, she didn't have Betulim, false pretenses, because she presented herself as a Betula, and therefore, now I found out, look, she never had Betulim, even at the 
the time by the Kiddushin, so I'm not paying the Ketubah. And uh, so we believe him, as opposed to her. She claims, and she comes in and claims and says, at the time of Kiddushin, I had Betulim. So the Kiddushin is valid, and your commitment to the Ketubah is valid. I lost my be- the Betulim. I was raped after the Kiddushin, before the Nisuin. So your field is ruined. It's, uh, it's your loss. And so Rabbi Yoshua says, we believe the husband, and so too in the Reshav our Mishnah says that the father has to prove it, meaning otherwise we believe the husband. So Rabbi uh, Yoshua looks like he's the author of the Mishnah. By Emma Sef, I look at the second case of the Mishnah. Once she is under the husband's domain, and again, we're ignoring the fact that it happens to be under the husband's domain or not. The point here is that the law uh, is that the husband has to bring proof, meaning without the husband bringing proof, uh, otherwise the husband is, the, the father is believed. The father being believed is the same as her being believed, and the father and the bride are on the same side. So uh, the so the husband is believed in that, and uh, uh, unless proven otherwise, atan rabban gamliel that would coincide with the opinion of rabban gamliel back in that same mishnah on daf yud bet amar because he said that she is believed to say, I lost my bitulim after the Kiddushin. At the time of Kiddushin, I had, I had bitulim, so the Kiddushin is valid, Kitubah is valid, I lost it in between, it's your, your loss, and uh, she is believed to say that unless he can prove otherwise. And so what we have is a contradiction within the, this Mishnah. Okay, it's a good question. How come the Gemara is not taking the Mishnah at face value and making a distinction between the fact that she's under her father's house or in her husband's house? Uh, perhaps it's because back in that Mishnah, there is no such distinction, even though it's an, it's an equivalent case logically. It's the same principle. And so to be Yoshua and among Gamliel, they don't distinguish between uh, whether uh, he finds, I mean, I guess there it's harder because we're finding Bitulim, and he really would only find that afterwards. Okay, but even even so, so she's under her under the husband's house, and there, Rabbi Yoshua and Rabban Gamliel don't make any distinction with the, between the fact that she is now under her husband's house or otherwise, or, or um, in her father's house. And therefore, here too, they're, say, they're saying, Rabbi uh, Yoshua Rabban Gamliel would not make any distinction. And therefore, it looks like the Resha is Rabbi Yoshua and the Sefa is Rabban Gamliel. That's our question. So, Amar Rabbi Elazar, Tabra, Misha Shanazo, Lo Shanazo. So Rabbi Elazar gives the first answer and says, in fact, you have to break the Mishnah, you have to, it's disjointed, and the author of the first clause is not the same as the author of the second clause. Rabbi Yoshua's author of the first clause, he happened to talk about it being in her father's house, but he would claim no matter where she is, the father's house or husband's house, the father is the one that has to prove because the husband is believed, just like in the Bitulim case, the husband is believed. Rabban Gamliel, who was, is author of the second clause, and happened to mention it in the case of a husband's house, but actually it doesn't matter if she's in the husband's house, no matter where she is, the husband has to prove it because she is believed, just like the in back in the Bitulim case, she is believed. All right, all that is the first answer. One one last uh, one last uh, tangent regarding that first answer. 
Abaydava, who's also going to happen to be the second answer. Abaydava, lo tema de Yoshua, lo azil batal chazaka de gufa kelal. We have something called a chazaka, which means a presumptive status. Whatever something was beforehand, we assume it continues to be the same thing. And therefore, uh, we assume uh, that a girl is a bitula, so that's her presumptive status. So, not unless proven otherwise, we can assume that a girl is a bitula going forward, or a person is tahor, unless otherwise proven that they are tameh. So that's the presumptive status. So don't think, Rava says, that Rabbi Yoshua does not have any law regarding the presumptive status. He, in fact, would, would apply the concept of presumptive status. Um, and so we're talking about Yoshua here because he's the one that says that the husband is believed to say that she lost her betulim before the Kiddushim. That goes against the presumptive status. Chazaka would say, well, she probably had betulim, so let the husband be the one to prove otherwise that she lost the betulim before the Kiddushin. But Rabbi Yoshua says, we don't follow that Chazaka, so it looks like uh, Rabbi Yoshua doesn't have the concept of Chazaka at all. That's why Ravah says, Rabbi Yoshua does have a, have, have a concept of a Chazaka. Um, but here, Ela, ki la azil Rabbi Yoshua batal Chazaka de kufa hechadika Chazaka de mamona. In this case, there is an equal and opposite Chazaka of the person who possesses the money. We assume that the person who is holding the money, he keeps the money until otherwise, unless otherwise proven. We assume that he's, he, he, has, he, he, deserves, he has that money, he's holding the money, so he's the one that deserves that money until someone can prove that he, oh, he has to pay the money. In this case, the husband is the one holding the money, and she's claiming, I want you to pay the ketubah, because... I was a bitula at the time of the Kiddushin. And so since he has a chazaka because he's holding the money, she has a chazaka because she has a presumptive status that she had bitulim beforehand. So these chazakas cancel each other out. And that's why Rabbi Yoshua says in this case that the, the husband is believed uh, to that she lost her bitulim before the Kiddushin. But if not for the opposite chazaka, the, uh, we, we would employ the chazaka of a body. And uh, here's we're going to prove that Rabbi Yoshua does have such a chazaka from a different case of nega'im. If you take away the monetary holding part of it, um, then Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Yoshua does have uh, the con- apply the concept of the bodily chazaka. Regarding sara'at, if the white uh, spot comes first and then there's a hair, a white hair, that is tameh. If the hair comes first and then the white spot, uh, that person is tahor. If you're not sure, then we have to assume that it's tameh, that the white spot came first. Okay, that's Tanakama. Rabbi Yoshua Omer Keha. Rabbi Yoshua says it's dull or fading. Now, what does that mean? My Keha, Amaraba Keha Tahor. He means that it's Tahor. That's is the word Keha. Uh, in his line, in his, what he means by Keha is that he, she is Tahor. Why? Because of the presumptive status. Chazaka, she was Tahor beforehand. Unless she didn't have sarat, unless until you prove that she does have sarat. Therefore, since we have a safek which came first, we can follow the presumptive status of tahara. So we see that Rabbi Yoshua 
all things being equal, will have a presumptive status, uh, will use chazaka. Only here, there's a chazaka opposite chazaka the other way, and that's why he doesn't use that. Okay, all that was the first answer to regarding the contradiction between the first and second uh, halves of the Mishnah. And now we're going to have a second one, which is, uh, I think, closer to the Peshat, Rava Amar. Resha kan nimsu vechan hayu. Sefa name kan nimsu vechan hayu. In the first case of the Mishnah, where the blemishes were discovered while she, the bride, is living under her father's house, so that's where they were discovered. So we can assume that that's where the they originated. And furthermore, we're adding and before the Kiddushin. Uh, so therefore, the husband is believed to say, oh, this is before it came under my domain, uh, and even before the Kiddushin, we assume that it was already here uh, before I came into the picture, and therefore, the father would have to prove otherwise. Whereas, Sefa applies the same principle, that the blemish happens in the place where it is found, and in this case, the husband finds it, while she is living with him. So since it was found there, we assume that the blemishes occurred under his authority, which uh, could be after the Nisuin, uh, or if it was after the Kiddushin, even so that between Kiddushin and Nisuin period are a little blurry here in the Vast statement. That's what we're going to discuss in a second, right? Um, uh, because on the one hand, she is under living in her father's house, on the other hand, when they're discovered there, we still assume that it happened before the Kiddushin, um, whereas when he finds it under in his house, when she's living in his house, we assume that the blemishes occurred either after the Nisuin or after the Kiddushin. So let's discuss that in between. Period. Once she comes into her husband's domain after the Nisuin, then the husband has to bring a proof that this uh, these blemishes happened beforehand, before the Kiddushin. That happened before the Kiddushin. And therefore, the he says, because if it happened after the Kiddushin, then she can say, uh, it's your loss. And then he would he would say, if he can prove it's before Kiddushin, he could say, I never wanted to acquire this woman with uh, with such blemishes. Um, okay, now that's true. That's only if he can prove that she got the, the, these blemishes before the Kiddushin. But let's say he can only prove that they, she got these blemishes before the Nisuin, but maybe after the Kiddushin. And in that case, that he would not be believed because even though even though they were before, he can prove they were before the Nisuin, they still could be after the Kiddushin, and so he was to be his loss. And now Bayez' question is, Why don't we apply your principle that they wherever they were found, that's where they happened. So even though the husband was only able to prove that the blemishes occurred before Nisuin, why not say, well, since he already proved that they happened under her father's house, so then they must have have occurred while in the father's house and before the Kiddushin, right? If, if you can prove one, so it turns the case into, if you can prove that they were before the, before the wedding, then that would turn the Sefa case into the Resha, where they were found while under the father's house. After all, if they're found in the father's house, 
after Kiddushin, he's believed to say they're before Kiddushin. So even after the Nisuin, as long as he proves that it occurred before, before the Nisuin, so we should apply the same logic and um, believe him that it happened before the Kiddushin. Okay, so uh, uh, good question. Abaye, Amrava says, Amarle, Mishinit Arsa, Mishum de Ikalememar, Hazaka, and Adam Shotebekos, Ela, Imken, Bodko, Vaira Avit, Payesu. If it's only found from the point of Kidushin, so then we're going to apply the following Hazaka. Usually, a person is not going to drink a cup unless he checks it first. The mashal is, you're not going to use a cup, you're going to check to make sure it doesn't have cracks, uh, it doesn't have a sharp edge, and then you're only going to drink. Nimshal is, a person we assume is going to uh, make sure to check his new bride out before the Kiddushin and to see if she has any blemishes and only then he'll go ahead. So since we assume that he did check her out in some way and then he saw these blemishes, so he means he's okay with it, he's reconciled with it. Therefore, if we only, if he only can prove that these, these, um, uh, uh, that the blemishes were found in her father's house but you can only prove that they were there um, after the key. You cannot prove that they were there before the Kiddushin. Uh, then we are going to apply this Chazaka that he maybe he, he saw that even if they were there before the Kiddushin, he probably saw them and still was okay with them. That's why he still has to pay the Ketuvah. Okay, now Abaye uh, will shoot back. In that case, even if the husband can prove that she had these blemishes before the Kiddushin, we should still apply this Hazaka and say that uh, he must have done a check. Usually people check their brides even before the Kiddushin and therefore if he, therefore he would have seen this blemish and would have been reconciled with it and therefore should still have to pay. So you can't apply this chazaka because then it would go too far. We have an opposite chazaka uh, that says that a person is not reconciled. When he sees a blemish, he, a man is not okay with it and he's not going to go ahead with the deal. And so we can apply that principle that's applied in other places here also that we have a chazaka against it. So now we have actually two chazakot that are equal and opposite that would cancel each other out. So we go back to our uh, Abaye's original question, and here uh, Rava will explain his his entire uh, his entire shita. Ella mi shenit adesa mishum deika tarte. Once a per once a person has kiddush, if it's from the point of kiddushin and on, meaning if uh, the she's they're already married. But he can prove that this blemish was from before marriage, but he can't prove that it was from before Kiddushin. So all we know it was that it was um, for sure there, but uh, for sure there before the marriage. Um, but uh, we only know that it was there before Kiddushin, after Kiddushin. We're not sure if it was there or not before Kiddushin. In that case, he's not going to be believed. The husband will have to pay. Why? 
because it's two against one. Two chazakot um, against him. Number one, probably she has a chazaka of not having a blemish since he was born. And the blemish happened at some point afterwards. So we assume she has a bodily chazaka that she has not blemished. That's number one until until later. So at the time of Kiddushin, she didn't have the blemish. Chazaka and Adam shote because Elaim can bodko. A second chazaka uh, against him is that people generally will check their brides before Kiddushin. So he probably checked her, and if she had the blemish, she saw it, and he was fine with it. So that's two against him. So what do you have for him, uh, the other chazaka, that usually people... Uh, well, if they see a blemish, will not be reconciled. That's one against two. One against two is not strong enough, and therefore the two chazakot went out. And if he can only, if he can only prove that the blemish was there uh, after the nisuin, and he can prove that the blemish was there before the nisuin, but he can't prove it was before kiddushin. So then we the the, the power of these two chazakot together say you have to pay. Uh, whereas, if it's if if he can prove that the blemish is before, happened before the kiddushin, then that we know we lose one of the chazakot against him, the chazaka of her body that her body is presumably unblemished until you can prove his blemish. Now he proved that the blemish was there before Kiddushin, so that you lose out on that Chazaka. So, what do we have left? So we have one against him that usually people do check their brides beforehand, and so he saw the kid, he saw this blemish, and he was okay with it. Uh, and then, therefore, he would have to pay. But we have a Chazaka against it. Chazaka and Adam Epeus Bimumin. People are not uh, reconciled when they find blemishes. Therefore, those cancel each other out, and we leave the money where it is. He or he has the money right now. She's trying to extract the money for for the ketubah, but the chazakot are equal, and so that's the reason why we do believe him uh, if he can prove that the that the blemish happened before the kiddushin, but. If, if after they're married, he can only prove that the blemish was there from the Kiddushin and onwards, but before, even if it's before the marriage, that won't help him because he has a majority of Chazakot against him. We'll see the third explanation of the Mishnah by Rav on the next half. Baruch Adonai Leolam. Amen ve'amen.